Hello, 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 and welcome to There's This Thing at Work, the podcast where we delve into the workplace issues that are usually swept under the carpet. We're here so you can stop listening to your friends, partners, and parents telling you what you want to hear, not what you need to hear. Tough situations need honest and direct answers, and in There's This Thing at Work, our panel of people experts are going to find them. and welcome to another episode of There's This Thing at Work, the place you you come to ask your agony advisors questions on everything people and culture. This week, you've asked us a question, what are the most common challenges to scaling a company culture as you grow? My name is April Williams, founder of Candid HR, and I'll be your host today. So before we jump into this juicy topic, I'm going to pass the mic to my good friends to introduce themselves. Should we start with Ben? Yeah, let's do that. Sorry, you did say we're going alphabetical and then I forgot it. I'm a guest, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, not into it. Um, hey, team. Hey, everyone listening. Um, I'm Ben Gately. I am a CEO and co-founder of Charlie HR. I'll go next, I'll bet. Uh, so my name is Charlotte Hamill and I'm COO of social media agency Born Social. Hi, everyone. My name is Rajiv Day and the founder and CEO of Learnably. Great. So welcome, guys, to this week's episode. How are you all doing today? Very well, thanks. Good. Thanks to be back. Great. As our audience heard today, we have a guest with us today. Ben, how are you? I don't know. I don't know if it counts as being a guest. I feel like I'm a sort of, I'm a substitute. I sit on the bench. Yeah. And then when, um, and then when when I'm needed, I kind of, I get, I get roped in. Well, we're excited to have you today. We've taken you off the bench. (laughs) (laughs) We've taken you off the bench today to play with us. Um, So guys, this week's question is, what are the most common challenges to scaling company culture as you grow? Um, One of our audiences uh, gave us a little scenario. They said, we have a close-knit, candid team who are productive and engaged right now, but are heading into a period of expansion and don't know, don't want to lose those qualities. So should we dive straight into all things company culture and scaling? Would love to. So I guess my first question to you all is what does company culture mean to you? This is actually so tricky. I think my gut response to this um, was, I mean, your business is what you do, right? Yeah. But your culture is how you do it. And it meaning literally everything, whether that is target setting, uh, company reporting, your operations and systems, hiring, onboarding, performance management, like anything that you do, the way that you do it is your culture. Like one thing it isn't, it is not bean bags and office dogs. Like let's just clear that up. Absolutely. Yeah. And for me, it's very much, you know, the, the shared values which really guide the behaviour and create those social norms that, that Charlotte talked about. Absolutely. Yeah. And how about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think if I put a kind of ribbon on what Raj and Shah have said, you know, I, I like to define it as people, policy and processes. So you take those three ingredients and you put them together and culture is what comes out the other side almost. 
Yeah, no, totally. Sometimes, especially in the startup world, like Charlotte mentioned, a lot of people think company culture is the actual office in itself, um, the hard things. So the pool tables, the fancy um, sofas, etc. But that's not necessarily um, your beliefs or your values. So in terms of when we are scaling a company, and I guess this is a question for our CEOs in, in the room, Raj and Ben, um, but Charlotte, do chip in because I know you've been part of a, a company that has scaled largely. Um, but what is your biggest concern when it comes to scaling your company culture? I mean, I, th- I think it's keeping what you've created, right? And um, uh you know, I have an intimate view of the of the business that Shah works in, and and I guess I've admired learnably from afar, but know Raj well enough to know um, that they've created something pretty special there. And I and I'm sure I talk for everyone when I say that, you know, early on there are special moments, uh, special people. There's a there's a there's a there's a feeling that feels very unique to the moment that you're in, and definitely whenever I'm uh, you know, put on the spot and asked to think about, you know, what is it going to be like when we're this many people or this many people? You know, the first thing that I think about is dilution and dilution of of, of that initial feeling and culture that we've created within the organisation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, just to build on that, I think an increasing concern, particularly with the shift to remote, is, you know, is everyone, particularly when you're bringing on new people, because often you pick up things by just watching behaviours or see how people respond to things, which is just probably easier when you're face-to-face in a physical environment. But now with, with you know, we've gone fully remote as a company, as, as of a lot of companies, uh, that may not be as easy to do, uh, but we definitely ensure that there are a number of things that we do, and we'll go into that a bit later, to ensure that, that our values and our culture kind of um, permeate through everything that we do. But I think as a, as a current concern is how is that kind of manifesting and, and the role that every higher plays, particularly when you're small, they can have a disproportionate impact if, if they're the wrong hire in terms of your culture. And I think it's really important that that gets spotted uh, quite soon uh, and, and is addressed. Uh, but obviously, as, as a founder CEO, it is very much your baby. It's something you really want to nurture and you want to ensure that that uh, it, it continues to flourish as the company scales. Yeah, that's true. Shah, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, and I think I can, having not, not been a CEO, but I joined um, a business in the really early days. And actually, I can come at it from the perspective of the type of person who joins that that founding team, that small team. And part of the appeal there is you're like, you know, the impact that I'm going to make is really significant. And you, you join it with a founding mentality, actually, and the 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 fear of of scaling is that people are coming into the business at different at different times and and rightly they are viewing the business differently their their role is is not as a founding team member but you actually are still looking at them to have the same emotional investment as you do so i think that is quite daunting when you're looking at scaling a business understanding how uh yeah the relationship that every team member has with the business is is different. Um, so, and, and one of the things that you kind of have to accept, you you've got to evolve with that change because it's not it's not a negative change. It's just it's a change that 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 will happen. Yeah. So, both all of you have kind of mentioned this two this two piece. So, one you guys mentioned about 
people joining the company as you guys are scaling. And we'll touch on that uh, a little later. But then you also talked about the possibility of the culture diluting as you scale. So once you hit the 50s and the 100s and the 200s, that culture can dilute. Um, so I guess my question to you all, is it is it possible to maintain your company culture? And if so, how? And if it's not possible to maintain your culture, is it something that we should strive to do? Yeah, and I, I was going to kind of, um, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it kind of flagged to me, which is that, you know, maybe we should set the stall out to begin with by saying that no matter what you do, your company culture is going to evolve and change. Mm-hmm. And that's, actually, that's important. And that kind of should happen. If it's if that hasn't happened, then maybe there's some other issues going on. Um, and actually leaning into the fact that, yeah, it's going to adapt and evolve over time. I mean, Raj, Shah, I'm sure you've seen both Learnably and Bourne's culture shift from the early days. Yeah, massively, massively. And like the the early days were amazing, but would I want the same culture for Bourne now? Absolutely not. Like, absolutely not. So it is a really positive thing seeing your culture uh, adapt and shift. And actually, one of the things that even I'm looking at at Bourne at the moment is um, – probably about three years ago now we kind of did a whole load of uh, work on on our values bedding them in and we're actually looking at the point of having done some work on on the future of the business and where we want to take the business we're also thinking right let's also have a look at our values do they need to do they need to evolve either the meanings attached to them do we need to have we outgrown any of them we should be prepared to get rid of some if they don't don't apply um or are there any new ones that need to come in and absolutely you should take on an approach to value. So they should be a very um, permanent and stable presence in your business. But that doesn't mean it's not kind of de- till death do us part. Like you you can you can evolve them and and arguably should, you know, we 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 grow out of our homes, we we evolve as people. So we absolutely should do the same in, in our in our workspaces. One of the things that we do uh, as, as part of every hire that we make, there is uh, the last stage once they've done the kind of initial screen, the, the technical interviews, is a values uh, uh, interview. And what we say is that it's not necessarily looking for culture fit, but more cultural contribution. So what are they going to bring to our culture that will enhance and really take it up to the next level? We obviously want to make sure that they're aligned to the basic values of the business. But that is also really important. And, and just kind of echoing what, what Shah and, and Ben's already said is that you need to be open to your c- culture evolving, but in a good way. Uh, and that everyone, any new person that comes to it, you should be looking, what can they bring to elevate it for everyone else uh, as, a, as a whole whole company? Yeah. So in terms of now we've understand that um, company culture should adapt. And I love that analogy that you've given, Charlotte, in terms of we grow out of our homes. And once we once we move on, we, we take a new way of looking at life almost um, to suit the stage that we're at in our journey. But in terms of right at the beginning of the journey, when you're determining what kind of values you do take along with you, how do you begin to pick? nitpick almost the good qualities that you're like ah this is what has kept us here and this is what has taken us to our next stage and actually these are the things that we want to keep as our core values how do you establish what they are that's a great question and um we did did this the first time around and I'm absolutely gonna absolutely gonna do it again when we when we go through this work um in, in the near term is considering what what are the characteristics and 
traits that are there when your company is at its best because your best is is actually obviously that moving benchmark you're constantly pushing and doing better work and yeah setting that new standard of excellence internally so look for the trends in that work and that actually will tell you the newer stuff and, and one of the things that we're looking at at Bourne is um, we really value when our work is making a broader impact or when culturally we are making a kind of socially conscious impact into things and actually that's the thing that if you look at our values it's not really obvious in them yet and so we want to reconcile the work and the cultural aspects that we're really proud of and, and start making sure that there's not a gap between that um, and, and what our values are. So, yeah, think about you at your, the business at its best and, and what, what's uh, part of that picture. I think on the flip side, and just to build on that, though, also think about when you're at your worst, what are the non-negotiables? So when you're at your worst, sometimes it can bring out you know, certain traits in people. And I think you need to know where do you draw the line? So actually, this kind of behavior is totally unacceptable. And so we would never do that. We would never compromise on our kind of integrity. We would never lie just to get a deal or whatever it might be. So I think absolutely, uh, as Shah says, like, what do you mean is it your best? But also remember, like, when times are tough, how are you going to act and where, where do you not go as well? Because I think that's equally important as a business. Yeah, great point, Raj. This is worth flagging, uh, you know, and I, Raj, I'm, I'm fully on your side of, of sort of culture ad and, and understanding the values and behaviours we want to see in the organisation. And both of your organisations have done a really, really good job seemingly of, of doing that. But I guess it's hard sometimes to determine whether, you know, when you're cooking, you're cooking some pasta sauce, right? You're, you're <laughs> like, you've got like garlic, onions, tomato, and you're going through the flavoring component of it. So you're salt, pepper, you're like, maybe I'll put a bit of smoked paprika in there. You know, you're just, you're <laughs> testing stuff out. Worcestershire sauce, maybe, maybe some Tabasco, I don't know. And what are we making? We're making our dinner. And um, <laughs> obviously, sure. And uh, you know that, you know, we've all cooked dishes where we've gone a bit too far with the flavoring and we didn't, <laughs> You know, we put a bit too much of one thing in it and it kind of overpowers. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I'm not sure it's always super clear whether the behaviours someone is bringing in uh, that you're kind of trying to determine at interview stage, whether it's going to be a positive culture ad or a negative culture ad. I think we can make some broad assumptions, mm. but I guess I want to kind of implore the listener and say, look, it's, it's kind of a harder thing to do than we'd probably like. Do you agree? I do and I don't. I think it depends what, which ones, which values you're trying to test for. So I think for us, there's an element of kind of growth mindset and around being a learning company, it's really important that you learn. So, so therefore, there are certain questions we will ask in the interview to, and, and also challenge them. We'll give a radical candor as another one. So giving them radically candid feedback, how do they accept that? So I, 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 you're absolutely right, Ben, in terms that certain things are just really hard to test for. Like an interview is a fundamentally flawed i don't think anyone's cracked an interview process that actually yeah, they can say yeah. we've we've nailed this because how can you get a real sense of a person in, in the form of like just a few you know one hour sessions right so uh, but I, I think it depends which values you're kind of testing quote unquote for and how you you know ask for those examples and again it's not going to be um flawless you're, you're probably going to make some mistakes but I think it's also important, one thing we do is also ensure that people that are totally disconnected from the hiring and from the actual role are involved in that because 
you know, this is about that broader impact that this person's going to have in the business as well. Yeah, no, I totally agree on that, especially coming from a talent perspective, having worked with companies where they're scaling their teams. um, One of the things that never usually changes is the recruitment process and the questionings that they ask. So they keep the recruitment fundamentals the same and just try and scale it at large whilst they're trying to grow. So when we're talking about culture and we're talking about testing um, culture fit, those are the things that are often missed in the recruitment stages. So for me, when I'm thinking about scaling a company and being adaptive, as as you've all mentioned, it's applying that to all stages of the people journey, actually. So when you're looking at your recruitment and you're looking at scaling, looking at how you can adapt that to suit where you guys are in terms of your questioning and how you're actually um, conducting the interviews. But then also on the flip side, when you look at your onboarding piece as well, that's a piece that sometimes when it comes to kind of annual reviews kind of gets missed because if it's not too broken, let's not fix it and spend time there. But actually onboarding um, is a really crucial part in terms of ensuring that, you know, what you've tested in the interview stage, you're almost backing it up in the onboarding process as well. Um, So in terms of, Raj, this is a question for you more so. Um, I've seen Lanably grow, right? And it's been amazing. In terms of what was your one concern that you had when you were scaling your company in terms of culture, what was it? Um, And how did you overcome that? Or are you still experiencing that particular challenge or, or not? So it's an interesting one. So similar to Shah, we, you know, we have reviewed our own kind of culture and, and values. So we, we, I think we did it probably, so we did it first exercise probably really early on, like three, four years back when we pretty much first started. We reviewed it again two years ago. And um, every time it's been, you know, whoever's been in the company at that time, we've it's been a collective effort to really codify it. And I think codifying it was the most important thing that we did as a business uh, because it's all well and good just saying like this is how we act but until you put it down on paper and really get people to rally around that's like is this really the way we act and are we really living and breathing it I think that's really really important and so there are a few things that happened along the journey that have really helped us so firstly having a dedicated people ops manager Marie in our team uh, who really is that champion for everything that we do. I think that's really important. I can't stress the importance of having a people person early on in the business. I think many companies get that wrong is they wait too long to have someone who's dedicated Mm -hmm. to people kind of issues. Uh, And then what she then did was then she created our employee um, handbook, which is open and publicly available to everyone. Uh, It's transparent. And we always err on the the side of transparency because we want people to know before they even apply for a role, what are we about? Does, does this seem like the company you want to work for? Uh, and so I'd say those were concerns in the early days, but now I feel far more comfortable that we've got the foundations in place to grow upon. But if you haven't codified it, and if you haven't really put those systems in place, for example, the, the values interview in the interview stage, uh, and then, you know, so that everyone coming in knows what you're about, then it, I would definitely be, you know, more, more concerned but fortunately, I'd say we're in a good place at the moment. That's great to hear. Can I um, can I add on that? Because I also th- I think that's a fantastic foundation to start with. The thing that we've also done at Bourne, which has helped us massively, is attach individual accountability in the form of performance reviews to culture. 
Um, and again, this is coming with the lens of, of value add, like culture add, not culture fit, but everyone will present and contribute to values in a similar way, but we want to see cultural contribution in, in their contribution to Born as a Company. It's not just about the specific role that they do. So in our, um, we did them uh, kind of biannually, so twice a year. Part of the uh, review process is not only against the role deliverables, but also against the values and in what way we're seeing them embrace and live the values. And I think that is what makes people, whether they've been there for five years or five months, they're still held accountable for, for I guess, like respecting and embracing that culture. Yeah. It's kind of, it's kind of wild when I think about it. Um, you know, the, the most important asset an organisation has is its people. The thing that fuels yeah. them and keeps them going is the, is the culture that sits around them. Yet, historically, we are so bad at investing in people, HR, culture-related roles early enough on. And um, like we were late to do it. Raj is probably late to do it. Shah, you, you guys were definitely late to do it. Um, <laughs> You're calling everyone out now, babe. But it's true. Yeah, it's got, unfair, you've got an inside scoop. It's yeah. true, right? And then I think we... And I think for whatever reason it is, we need, but we need to, we need to shake that and we need to implore, you know, people that are much earlier on in the journey, you know, go and hire someone that can really optimize the people you've got in the room. It's one of the biggest value add things that you can do. So Ben, my question back to you is why was it probably not one of your first hires that you made? (sighs) Because I think honestly, it, and we're moving away from it, but yeah. Culture has been something that we've seen of, we've seen as something that is a little bit intangible. And mm. we're, you know, kind of a nice to have, right? Yeah. And I think we're in the middle of a bit of a revolution. And I think that revolution is, is about saying, no, actually, this is not the nice to have. This is the kind of foundation that um, helps you attract great human beings, helps you retain great human beings and helps you get the best out of them. And if you if if you can do all of those three things, then guess what? All of those business outcomes that you want are also going to happen. And but you know that conversation is still relatively early on. And so why didn't we do it? You know, uh, early in, in the early days of Charlie. Well, because I felt self conscious sitting in front of the board and saying we're going to spend some money on something that isn't going to build product or isn't sales or isn't marketing, right? Um. Whereas now I'd have no problem having that conversation because I, I, I understand that link between culture and performance in far greater depth. Yeah, I, I would um, have a slightly, slightly different approach or reason for, for Bourne's delay. And I think it's because we, it's probably boils down to maybe that similarity of um, being too uh, nervous to to ask for that whole chunk of resource dedicated to to people and culture but I think we and we still have to an extent baked baked that responsibility into all of our team leaders which gets you so far but when push comes to shove what gets prioritized it's like the urgent people stuff that doesn't necessarily build culture and clients you know as a social media agency we are a service we are a client first business we have to look after our clients and the client work so it's until you've got that dedicated role 
that's when you really start seeing, um, I think, really successful scalability of of culture. Yeah. It's also when you have these, you know, crisis moments or really like such as, you know, in March and, and, and when companies had to go remote and with lockdown and whatnot, that's really where it became obvious how important it's been having someone who's just dedicated to that to really kind of oversee that, ensure that everyone felt looked after, valued, like we surveyed everyone yeah. to death probably to ensure that they <laughs> yeah. were really okay in that process. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I think I can't imagine how that would have been without that person, right? But it's sometimes it's only through experience and making the mistake that you realize. So, if you know, if we do it all over again, definitely you would have that role much earlier in the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've definitely seen uh, an increase in the value of HR consultants and people, people in businesses since lockdown. Um, and it's purely about the employee engagement side. Um, I had a conversation with one of my bosses that I worked with years ago, and we were a really close knit team before we scaled. And unfortunately, we lost our biggest client and we all had to close shop. And we said, you know, we had a conversation in terms of our culture and how we were scaling the teams. And one of the things that he said is, I wish I had got you in sooner. Had you got, had we got you in sooner, we would have established what we were all about, what was the yeses and what was the noes. So they probably would not have taken on that contract or ex- kept extending that contract, knowing that they were burning their team out. And because they were burning their team out, they felt that they weren't producing um, as good quality as work as they were at the beginning of the contract. Um, and that was purely down to employee engagement and keeping um, our clear establishment of what our culture was. Um, mm. So, yeah, I guess hindsight is a beautiful thing when you look back at things, right? Absolutely. <laughs> it's, e- yeah. it's easier to advise yourself when you've come out of that and you think, oh, I, I could have done that. Um, but just bringing it back to the question a little bit, um, our audience asks us the question, in terms of saying that they were a close-knit team um, who are productive and engaged right now, but are headed into a period of expansion and don't want to lose those qualities. So my question to you all, Agni Advisors, is in your experience, how would you keep your team engaged as you're scaling your organisation? Understanding that it might be difficult, but what are the kind of practical things that you have done in your time um, that have kept your team engaged and productive. Speaking to one of the first points we made around, I guess, the appeal of your important the, the importance of your individual role um, it is understandable. If people are like, well, you know, I, there were there were five in the team, and now there's fifty in the team. Um, I'm less significant. That's not true. That that is fundamentally not true. So I think what the business can do is make sure that they are investing the time into bringing people on the journey and making them really clear on the role that they are playing in the in the growth of the business and importantly seeing the opportunity that the growth in the business will give to them because yeah disenfranchisement comes when you're like does it really matter that I'm here so make sure your people know why they're important not just that they're important why they are important is 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 so fundamental I'd say also, you know, I have to repeat the other point around the recruitment stage, involve people, even if they're not directly linked to that, that 
department, involve them in the recruitment process, let them see and speak to those new people you're bringing on board and let the new people see what your kind of your colleagues are going to be like. And, uh, and that's kind of really important part of our kind of values um, interview process. Then the other thing that we do do is that when you have got them, and you mentioned this earlier, April, is that the onboarding is really important. Ensure that every new joiner I, I have a one-to-one with um, so they can ask me any questions that they have about the business or about the, the origin story, how it, how, why it was founded, uh, and then really reinforce the behaviors that you want to see regularly. So the way we do that is through a high five channel on Slack. And whenever we see you know, great behavior or something that really uh, speaks to our values, we will high five that person. And to, it acts as a, as a trigger, as a reminder all the time about what we're about as a company. I, th- I think um, the, the answer is there's a ton of stuff. Um, yeah. But there's loads of things. And, it, and, it, and what, what gets you to 30 is you're going to need different things to get you to 50 and, uh, and you're going to need different things to get you to 70. And, you know, this idea of close-knit, can, can, candid and, and uh, en- an engaged team you know, to, to kind of keep hold of those values, you're going to have to keep adapting. But I, I guess the one area I'd really want to campaign people to spend more time and energy thinking about is that of your processes. Mm. A lot of cultural responsibility is given to people, people, or people that sit within an HR role. And I guess what I, what I want to implore people is that there is a much closer link to typical ops and operations uh, when it comes to culture than we realize. And actually a lot of the process and ways that you run your organization have a huge impact on your culture. So uh, Raj, do you do you guys do um, like any like quarterly goals or something like that? Yeah, yeah, OKRs. OKRs. So OKRs are a huge tool when it comes to keeping your team engaged because people can see and understand how they fit into the bigger picture of what is going on. Now, Responsibility for OKRs normally sits maybe with a CEO, a COO, a head of ops, something like that. It's a very operational thing. But actually, the impact it's having on people and their engagement is huge. So be clear on those processes and how they're serving the people in your organization because they're probably having a greater effect than you realize. Another little hack, I guess, um, that has really helped Born is... You know, I, I totally get the fear of losing that cult knit, uh, close knit culture. Um, so think about what is going to get lost as that grows. Kind of the knit will loosen. You'll see other little smaller close knit bubbles form, which is really really nice. Um, but you think actually those the close knit culture makes or helps people understand and get to know each other. They get they learn how to work with each other better. They learn what they like about each other. So you can't rely on just being all in the same office in a small team for that to naturally happen. So you have to manufacture it. And you can do that by, you know, organizing breakouts in company meetings and exercises, like kind of real setup scenarios like that. Or stuff stuff that we've done um, is we've created, well, when you onboard someone, give a really personal introduction. So people get an insight into common ground that they can might reach out and build upon. Um, but from a working perspective, we've developed um, work style profiles so that if you're ever working with that person for the first time or just yeah. want to like get to know them before you might work with them, um, you can read about with which communication channels that they like, which are the scenarios that they find most difficult, how they best learn. 
So, so you're not relying on them working together to understand that information. So what can you hack and manufacture rather than let organically happen like it used to? Yeah, I really like that, Shah. I've recently used that uh, with a client that I'm working with at the moment. And you just find it so much easier to communicate and have that candid conversation because you know what their preferred communication style is, especially working remotely and not being able to have that just natural engagement that you would have in person. Um, I've I've leaned on that so much, so working remotely. Um, so I guess we've spoken about um, the culture uh, ad and the culture fit uh, whilst we're scaling, but as we know, when it comes to organisational change, you have some people that are totally on board and some people that may not be on board with how you're adapting your business. Um, so I guess, has anyone experienced that where they've been scaling a team or adapting their processes and their way of working and they've had members of the team that have not been engaged with that? And how have you dealt with that? It's a good one because... The kind of elephant in the room is that the people that have that took you to 30 yeah. might not take you to 50 and yeah. might not take you to 70 or 100. And I think um, someone once gave me a great analogy of uh, commandos, um, uh, com- commandos, army and police. There's a guy called Douglas Squirrel. Raj, I feel like he's someone that you might know. Um, <laughs> and he uh, he's, he's wild. Um, but... <laughs> He talked about uh, typically tech teams and the type of, of behaviors that you want. And early days, you know, one to 10 people, you want those commandos who are just going in and not really caring about process or getting stuff done properly or communicating or documenting. They're just making it happen. Then as you grow a bit further, you want the army still pretty aggressive. Um, but actually, uh, maybe you want to have a few more processes and ways of doing things. And then as you get past 50 and 100 and beyond then the police um uh, uh get involved and um there are a lot more regimented a lot more process orientated lots more do's and don'ts and you know that is an important thing to acknowledge which is that we all have different ways that we're comfortable operating and so yeah you are going to need different people at different stages of the journey great great i love that it's, it's a really good analogy to say that you know, it's it's not bad to actually say, actually, we're not on the same page right now, but you've supported us and you've got us to where we want to be. And it's not, I always say it's not a goodbye. It's almost a see you later um, because you may go somewhere else, gain more experience or a different experience and, and want to join uh, the family again and help us on our, on our next journey. So guys, that is the end of our episode Uh, nice way to wrap it up. I guess my final question to you all is if you had one piece of advice that you would give to somebody who is thinking about how they can maintain their culture um, when scaling a company, what would it be? I think it would just, from my perspective, it would be just codify it early on, just be clear on what it is and what it isn't. Mm, I think I would go for um, uh, breeding that that growth mindset and uh, positive change culture. Like, we always say to people, if you don't like change, Born's not the place for you. We're a social media agency and a growing business. Like there's change 24-7 all the time, left, right and centre. So be ready. <laughs> and then I guess I would go for listen, right? So uh, your culture is going to change. And if you're not listening, if you haven't got your ears to the ground and those relationships with people so you can understand how it's changing, um, then you're never going to be able to adapt uh, and, and amend uh, as things evolve over time. 
Right. And my my final advice would be adapt, 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 adapt. It's not going to be a straight road, but be prepared to adapt. So guys, that's the end of our episode. It's been great talking about um, scaling a company culture. Um, Stay tuned for our next episode. Take care. Thank you.